What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 45. We're joined today by the CEO and co-founder of Alibi Cannabis, Marianne Kersetchi. Alibi Cannabis is a woman-owned cultivation facility based in Damascus, Oregon. They create high-quality flour with a perfect blend of art, science, and magic. Marianne talks with us about her path to ownership and the adventures of establishing the brand, from building the cultivation rooms and the perfect team, to building a reputation for excellence in and outside of the state. We discuss consumer trends, the importance of customer education, and the adaptability required to be successful in cannabis. Alibi is looking to expand into new state markets soon, and it's safe to say their story has only just begun. For more information, visit alibicannabis.com and enjoy the show. Marianne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. So glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you join here. Uh, just hot on the tails of MJ BizCon. Just recovering. Fortunately, I didn't get sick. A lot of people got COVID there, but fortunately, we got home safe and sound. Yes, I have fingers crossed on my side, too. I saw there's some sickness going around. It's uh, sometimes unavoidable when you gather in numbers that way. Exactly. Especially in the fall, BizCon's a little... Poorly timed, maybe, for that. Yeah. But it was a great time this year. I think um, a lot of lucrative conversations and, and good folks to meet, both from the past and, you know, new connections. Yeah, it's really exciting seeing the difference between the West Coast and the East Coast, because the West Coast, I feel, is a little bit more um, seasoned through, you know, everything that that means in terms of the ups and downs of the market and figuring out how to survive in a, a price compression era. Whereas the East Coast is still all the excitement of, oh, I can be in the weed industry. And it's really fun and exciting. Yeah, in getting all that energy, right, getting from, from both sides of the fence. At, once you've seen a few years of the cannabis space, I think it kind of hardens your perception and your skin. You know, you're sort of ready to, to take like li- li- um, legalization issues, right, litigatory problems, everything that kind of comes with operating a business. Yep. And how long has Alibi been operating? We got our license in 2017. We um, bought the property in 2016 straight on the, when I was actually still going through chemo and radiation from cancer treatment. And on the bad days, we joke that this was a, a chemo brain inspired decision because you know, you're in a fog of chemo and it's like, what was I thinking? But um, it's, a, it's a good place to be and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, well, glad to glad to hear that it was successful there too. And maybe if we re- rewind the clock there to that decision or how you got involved in the cannabis industry in general, I guess could you tell a little bit of that story? Sure. So um, my background is in very traditional roles of finance, accounting. I owned an e-commerce company, so you know, tech and finance. That's that's really what my world was, and then. 
when my um, oldest daughter was born, I left corporate world and decided to start an e-commerce company. And that was a long time. That was 20 years ago. So the world is much different now. But really learned then how to run my own business and got excited about being an entrepreneur. Um, I'm now, I, I'm sure I'm completely unemployable after being employed by myself for, you know, <laughs> two decades. But it's, um, it really started that, that. Got that, the bug. Yeah, the bug. Exactly. You, know, you catch it and like, I'm never going back. And then when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was fortuitously a good time for my career because I was in between things. I had recently sold my e-commerce businesses and was just doing a little bit of consulting. And the doctor said, hey, the best thing is just take a year out, just focus on your health, focus on your treatment, take care of yourself, and life will still be there when you're done. So fortunately, my family was able to support me in that decision. And uh, we have a really good group of friends and a good support network. And somebody gave me some RSO and said, hey, this stuff might help you. Just try it. And you know, I was a little dubious, but I'm like, sure, why not? It makes sense. It's plant medicine. I'm all about that. And um, it really, really helped. So used RSO throughout my treatment and then caught the bug of cannabis and haven't looked back since. Yeah, and especially after experiencing the kind of firsthand benefits or uh, just kind of easing of some symptoms there. I imagine it was easy to put some passion behind that or kind of find the connection with your entrepreneurial spirit. Absolutely. And it also gave me a, an appreciation for the underground network. You know, it's, it's, you know, being fairly new to the cannabis industry, you know, eight years in, it's, it's a different take than people who've been doing it their whole life. And so I, I really have an appreciation for people who have really dedicated their life's work to helping people use and find medicine. And, you know, people gave me what now I, I look back and I'm astonished at the generosity of the medicine that they gave me. I'm like, wow, I had no idea what it would do or, or what went into making it. But, you know, that's why we're here. And I think that it's the thing to remember is that we're all in this together and we should help each other. Yeah, there's definitely a uh different tiers of experience and, and background at this point in the space with some legacy operators, you know, having been essentially born into it, um, yep. all the way to folks who started yesterday or, the, you know, just at BizCon. Yep. Um, it's, and I think that that makes it really fun because you have those constant new perspectives and different experiences all weighing into the industry. I uh, know that I think sometimes there's some uh, some tension maybe between those camps, mm -hmm. which is to be expected. Uh, but I've I think that for what it's worth, we should all try to smooth that over still and keep it, you know, keep it as as an open community, right? Ready to allow other entrepreneurs and folks come and, and work in the space. Absolutely, and I think that's the beauty of it. We really are at this the beginning of this industry, and there's room for everybody. And you know, nobody has has exclusivity on on any piece of it and i think the sooner that we recognize that as a community that it there really is space for everybody and we should be welcoming that we can make you know make all the improvements we need to make right right so uh as you were kind of finishing out your your chemotherapy and and starting to look towards the cannabis industry deeper um, was, was there a, a catalyst that actually triggered that decision or that finally pushed the you know, the, the bird out of the nest or whatever analogies needed there. 
I think it was a matter of perfect timing because we had, um, like I said, I had this space in my career where we had, I was like, well, looking for the next big opportunity. Don't know what that's going to be. And legalization had just happened here in Oregon. So the timing really was, was perfect. And we looked first at maybe buying a dispensary and setting that up. But, you know, after looking into that, realized that retail is, is a whole separate business. Like you have to have specialized skills to run a retail operation. And that's not what I want to do. And different game, really. Um, (laughs) Back of the house in front of the house. Exactly. But the cultivation and building a brand, I was like, that really sounds like fun. And we had the skill set. So that's, that's what we decided to do. So we bought some property and built a building and fortunately got a license. You know, it, it could have been, we had to invest all of that before we got the license. So there was a period oh, of, that's of, what I was going to ask. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of stress there, but it all worked out. Yes. Yes. And this, uh, seeing some operators have to do that and put out the money, find the space first, even, even retrofit, um, uh, license or buy supplies before even getting that license is really hard to mm-hmm. hard to stomach. Uh, was that was that a surprise to you or were you kind of aware of what you were getting into it as as licensing came live in Oregon? Had no idea. I mean, oh. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's one of these things where if you look back and with the knowledge I have now, I probably would have been too afraid to make that decision. But it's kind of good to just go in blind. And Ignorance is bliss on that exactly. side. Exactly. <laughs> um, you don't know what you're signing up for, but you know you figure it out along the way, and it all works out. But um, yeah, and you mentioned you had the skill set already. Um, are are you the uh, cultivator as well? Did you pick up some skills, or uh, was it through the networking and kind of some of the RSO connections that you found those those cultivation backgrounds? Yeah, I don't have a background in cultivation, although I love the plants and I love going in there and, you know, we help out. But um, fortunately, I was able to find um, our cultivator now is a woman who has a master's in plant pathology. She is a genius cool. and she has really revolutionized our cultivation. And then part of our team, my co-founder is does all the sales and he's been in the market. That's basically been his whole life. So he understands the sales side and what people are looking for for top shelf flower. And then we also have an engineer on staff who, um, whose background is in building uh, clean room level facilities. So oh, understands excellent. all of the HVAC and the equipment necessary. So we really do have just the perfect team. Yeah. That sounds like the meeting of the minds there. Yep. <laughs> perfect. Uh, how, how was the facility build out, um, that whole process, uh, a timely project, everything, kind of everything work out as planned or any any fun problems along the way or notable stories there getting the operation up and running? There's always stories. Um, <laughs> the way we chose to do it, you know, everybody has their own, their own philosophy about how they're going to build their business. And I did not want to take any outside money because um, I've seen so many mistakes happen and that just leads you down a path of, of having to answer to outside investors who aren't in there running the business. So put some pressure that yeah. so then may be needed, but sometimes it's not quite accurate. <laughs> for sure. And then you're focused on paying back your investors instead of building your business. And I, I really wanted to focus on building the business, how, you know, and being flexible and being able to pivot as necessary. So because we didn't want to take outside money, we, we did a lot of the work ourselves. Um, 
you know, we have to hire out the concrete and the framing, but we did everything else ourselves. So actually, literally, it's my blood, sweat, and tears in that building. There's a small crew of us. We were in there. We all had day jobs, but we'd come in on the nights and weekends and and build it. And so it was a lot of a lot of actual physical labor and a lot of hard work. Getting but those it, rooms actually kit out and yeah. putting the HVAC up and the lights and everything. Oh, yeah. But the good thing is, is that then we were able to, to, to stay self-funded so that we didn't have, you know, we didn't have a lot of debt. We didn't have um, outside investors. So that, that means that we're able to respond and react to the market as the market changes and prices drop. We're still able to be successful and cash flow positive. Uh, so there's kind of, there's definitely lingering or ongoing benefits of making that decision. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were doing it again, would you, cont- would you do that route all over again? <laughs> or would you say now, it, maybe say, we would take the investment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I still think it was the right decision. Um, That's I, awesome. But, That's great. You know, then it was the right decision. Now I'm kind of tired and I never want to pick up a caulking gun again in my life, but <laughs> enough's um, enough. <laughs> But it was right. It was the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's a, a wonderful way to come to grips with with your business, right? Mm-hmm. Right down into the nails and the and the and the flooring and and everything framing up those rooms. Yep. How many rooms did you put into the building? Um is it two flower rooms, veg and mothers or uh, multiple rooms? We started off um with building smaller rooms. Because that was with what our grower at the time, that's how he, his growing style. So we initially built four, um, well, five smaller rooms, four flower rooms and one veg. And that worked for the first two years. And then as we accumulated funds and we're ready to build out the rest of the building, we, um, the, our next set of rooms are much bigger. So they're, they're quite a, they're quite a bit, they're like four times as big. Oh, switch to a more of a bulk uh, management or larger harvest. Yeah. I see. Nice. That kind of speaks to some of that pivoting and flexibility there, huh? Yeah. You know, like what we, the way we had originally designed the building, you know, there's, there's certainly some things that were good choices, but looking back, I'm like, oh, now, now everything that we learned, I would have done a few things differently. There's always that unknown, right? As you, (laughs) as soon as you start the project, you start looking at the next steps again, thinking... Maybe, maybe we should change this or that. Yep, but it's hard you know, in it's construction, though. Yeah, <laughs> easier to easier to do in other projects, maybe. Yep. When it comes to building up the brand, I saw that Alibi is located in many stores, though across Oregon. Um, how how many different businesses do you know off the top of your head? There, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty. Um, wow. We're fortunate yeah. enough to, you know, the years in business, we have a reputation for quality, so. Our, our problem is that we, and it's not really a problem, but we sell out every month. We, we don't hold inventory. It's a good problem to have. It's a really good problem <laughs> to have. So we've had to be um, a little bit more discerning in choosing which shops we want to be in. So we choose shops that appreciate the brand, that pay on time, that understand what we're, you know, appreciate good flower. and Find that partnership. Exactly. Because it's all about the relationship. Yeah, definitely. I was looking at the map here of uh, the stores that carry Alibi, and it seems very uh, Western-based for Oregon, but maybe that's also like kind of population-based for Oregon as well. I'm not too familiar with the layout there. Uh, Damascus is south of Portland. 
Uh, yeah, south and east a little bit. It's it's a you know, it's, it's a suburb of Portland, not not too far away. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's gotta that's gotta be awesome to see your products and brand in so many stores. Uh, you know, up to two hundred stores is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really nice because like last night there was a networking meeting and bump into people that I haven't met before, but they're like, "Oh, your alibi, I love it." And so just having these random people and just to me that's 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 really cool because we've built a brand, we're known for quality. And um, we do everything that we can to maintain that. Yeah. When it comes to building a brand in cannabis and building a brand in general, right? Quality is important and consistency in delivering that same quality. And I feel like that's a heck of a challenge in cannabis to keep those products consistent Mm -hmm. with supply chain and and variables and and agriculture in general. Um, Are there any steps you guys take to maintain or to measure consistency or quality? Yeah, you're right. It's really difficult, especially on the flower side. Um, here in Oregon, we don't. Most stores don't do prepackaged um, cannabis, so it's deli style bulk. So that's even more challenging to build a brand. So what we've had to do is, you know, so a customer will go into a store and just see jars on a shelf, and it may or may not be branded. And so we've had to work extra hard with shops to put displays up. Our our image that you probably saw on our website is a, a, you know, a fairy with wings. So we have a digital display that we'll put up in shops where she's animated and customers go in and they're like, oh, what's that? I want that. So that's, that's what we're going for. It's kind of that sign, that neon mm-hmm. sign pointing down at the door. Yep, exactly. Or pointing over at those jars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think about Delhi style in general? It's, it's relatively rare in the space, but there are states still rolling it out. I love to be able to smell the jar and actually experience some of the product before buying. And walking into a deli-style shop is just like a, a little treat, right? You get to smell so many different cultivars. There are pros and cons of deli-style, and I actually don't know which side of the camp I fall on because I could argue myself into either side. Um, yep. The pros are exactly that. I mean, that's how I would choose my cannabis is I want to smell it because there's certain profiles I love. And then other ones, I'm like, ew, I don't want that. As soon as you know it's like that. For me, it's kind of like when they're very high lemon or orange. Mm-hmm. I like the smell, but I know I'm not going to enjoy the smoke as much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there's downsides, right? Every time you open those jars, what yep. you're smelling is that volatile terpene that maybe should have been prepacked and sold to somebody else. <laughs> exactly. And then you also don't know how the stores are keeping it. Um, you know, a couple months ago, there's a big... Um, lawsuit in Oregon about mold and so um you know you don't know where in the supply if if your product has mold it could have gotten contaminated at any point in the supply chain it's not necessarily the farmer's fault uh that's hard too so for accountability there's some perhaps some some value on the prepack side Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard decision you kind of want both or have maybe have the opportunity for both um, yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe at the end of the day, I come down with having a sample, one, a bottle that you open, that's that's your sample you can smell, but then keep the others in, you know, the integrity. Keep them nice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's hard, too. I've seen those sample jars in some states where they put out with like a little, um, a little nose window and a mm-hmm. magnifying glass. I feel like those are a great idea, but 
they don't typically represent that flower very well, unless you're updating them daily, right? Or exactly. constantly switching it out. Yeah. It can be hard to find the right thing. Uh, when it comes to the cultivars you guys grow, do you rotate those through and kind of change what you're growing? Or have you settled on some, some staples and some kind of uh, cornerstones for the brand? It's a really interesting question. And I would have answered it differently a year ago. Um, so uh. <laughs> the, the beauty about being in Oregon is that it's um, it's I really feel like we're the leader, the market leader in what people want and what cannabis, the potential of the plant. So our first few years, we built the farm on three different cultivars and we grew them over and over and over again. And it was wonderful from a cultivation perspective. But then over time, the market got tired of them and we built additional rooms so we had more yield and it's harder to sell you know when you have 20 pounds a month that you're trying to sell that's a very different proposition than 200 pounds a month so we've had to pivot and react to the market and the market's always looking for something new and fun so that's that's now what we're doing so now it's kind of a uh, staying like a few steps ahead or sort of some constant pivots in in the works yeah, right now the market wants purple gas. So we have a few really amazing, like our cookie run strain is a perfect purple gas. It's beautiful and yields well. People love it. Um, so we're going heavy into that. But we also have a few things in R&D that, that I think will eventually eclipse that. Nice. Ooh, looking forward to hearing about those. Yeah, me too. I saw, <laughs> I saw some of the photos on the site and like the, looking at the purple runs and things like that. Man, you guys are getting some deep color out of those. Yeah, our cultivation team really, really focuses on excellence and doing whatever we can in terms of adjusting nutrients, um, changing the temperature of the rooms. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing the things that you can do when you, when you really understand what the plant wants. Yeah, and this, I mean, there's something about wandering past a plant like Durban poison in flower. Mm -hmm. You just got to stop and smell the flowers for a while. <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because Durban is one of my favorite flowers. I love, we have a room growing right now that is, it's Durban and it's like chunky. I have never seen such cold, like literally they're chunky, like the biggest things I've ever yeah. seen. Nice too, and... They've even broken the trellis netting. It's insane. Oh, they're but, bursting out. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> we actually, we got to take pictures before we harvest, but it's, um, but not everybody likes it and it's green. So it's harder to sell. So my sales guy is like, well, let's not grow too much of that, but uh, it's so bummer. Wonderful. Yeah. I, sometimes it disappoints me that the, the market in quotes is mm -hmm. controlling the cultivars and kind of the direction. I mean, it, it makes sense obviously as that market speaks with the money and, like connoisseurs or specialty consumers are a smaller segment, yeah. but uh, I don't mind if my flowers green as yeah. long as it's got a, a good funk to it. I like really like the Durban smell or anything high in terpenaline yeah. and like cheesy smells or those kind of like, I don't know. It's like a funked, funky, dirty smell. That's mm -hmm. just like uh, unique to cannabis. I don't know which terp that is. That's uh, that's dominating there. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but um, it hmm. is. We also have in that same room with the Durban, we have a brand new cultivar called Sweet Insanity. I picked it up on the East ooh. Coast when I was out there earlier this year. Somebody in Massachusetts was running it. I'm like, ooh, I love that. So we picked it up. And to my knowledge, we're the only ones in Oregon who have it. So excited about that. That's cool. Being able to bring some genetics from across the country, introduce some things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, and I imagine when folks are looking at that wall of flour, there's some staples for the state, and it, seeing those new ones uh, definitely piques the interest. For sure. So, I saw that you had purple Wookie and some London pound cake and yep, yeah, just quite a lineup there. Yep. Um, as far as lab testing and labeling goes in Oregon, is the terpene percentage displayed on the lab on lab results for products, or is that required on the store side, or just in the COAs for purchasing? So that's an interesting topic because it is not required at all on the COA. You don't even have to test for it. Um, in terms of what's required. And gotcha. All- it's more around the microbiologicals, heavy metals, Correct. The, the important things. <laughs> yeah, the pesticides and the heavy metals, like you said. Um, yeah. Um, and THC, CBD percentage. And I actually think it's a huge mistake. I'm, I've been advocating, and I don't have a whole lot of people on my side yet, but I've been advocating for, T- so for flower products, I think that THC should be removed from packaging. Um, and maybe have it available if customers ask, but it's this, as I'm sure you know, this ongoing conversation in the industry of everybody wants the highest THC percentage flower because that's what yeah. sells, but that's not what customers actually enjoy. So how do we get, how do we change that conversation? And my answer is, well, let's remove THC from the conversation because then it'll fill in with terpenes and other things that actually matter more. That, that can actually steer the consumer to tell one flower versus the other, right? Yeah. That's a good perspective on it. I think we've asked that question a few times on the show, and that's a, that's a new answer. So <laughs> rather than try to educate or convince people to stop looking at the THC, it's more like, hey, we in your best interest, let's direct your attention to the numbers that matter, right? Yeah. The, the terpene percentages or some of the other cannabinoids that, make, that are made up there. Uh, looking at... Uh, the different markets, I'm super spoiled in Vegas as they put the top three terps with the milligram per gram mm-hmm. of those terpenes. And like you said, uh, I could almost shop by just that. What's the milligram per gram and the top or the dominant terpene? And then the THC is almost like a, it's Secondary. an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, it's like I know there's THC there. Odds are it's over 20% in the modern market. So it's it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think I, I think I can really tell the difference from a like t- something with ten milligrams per gram or more of myrcene mm-hmm. uh, versus something that has two per two milligrams per gram, and it's a totally different uh, effect. And I don't think that's based on the percentages because sometimes you find high THC. The reason it's high is because it's taking up more of that product than the terpene. Exactly. And I think that's kind of pushing some. I don't know. Delicious is if there's the right word. It's pushing some tasty cultivars out of the like popular selection. You know, it's just not lucrative for you, for folks like you guys to grow them if they are not going to sell. Right. That's difficult. <laughs> it is difficult. I mean, one of the things that we've done on the education side is that for our joint packs, on the back of the package where we have the compliance information, we actually took the terpene percentage and made the font size bigger and oh, put it at cool. the top. Oh, um, so that way they can at least see some of the overall terpene percentages. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So it's our little attempt to, to try to do that on our own. You know, we're still required to put THC percentage there, but hopefully that sparks somebody's curiosity. Like, huh, why is it? Why, what are terpenes? And yeah. then hopefully that, you know, educates them. 
it is probably just going to come more in in time. I feel even with craft brewing, um, it's it's kind of a poor analog, but it's a decent one for the situation where I think um, many people were not aware maybe of all the nuances of different types of beer mm-hmm. until this like wave of microbreweries kind of struck across the nation, you know, making hazy IPAs and and things like that that maybe wouldn't have been in the conversation before around around beer. And I think the same could maybe be said for any vice like that or product that has tiers of connoisseurship. Absolutely. The plant is so complex. We're still learning stuff. And I think it's easy to just, if you're in the industry living and breathing it every day, you, you get used to the complexity, but the <laughs> yeah. consumer doesn't know and maybe doesn't even care. All they That's want the key. is yes. they want an effect. They, they want, I want to feel, I'm going for a hike. I want to feel a little energy. I want to sleep or I'm having pain, whatever that is. Um, so we've actually developed a whole brand around effects-based products. So to, okay. to, yeah. to serve that market as opposed to the flower connoisseurs who are all about high-quality flower. Uh, so it's that way you can cater to really any, any potential consumer, right? There's definitely a consumer out there that does not care mm-hmm. about the myrcene or the caryophylline or anything about the cannabinoids, right? And yeah. being able to direct them right to fruity or to sweet or energy or sleep is excellent. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's for the newer the newer market, you know, for somebody who hasn't grown up using cannabis their whole life, they're they're looking for alternatives and healthy ways, things that they can add to their life to improve their health. So why not take a a gummy that, you know, will help you relax, help you know, with your anxiety or what, whatever it may be. Although we're really restricted in what we can say, so we actually can't say anxiety, but we could say calm and relaxed. Yes, there's a there's a line we can't cross about what it can actually do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you see in the long term that kind of health consciousness actually, actually shifting the preference to other categories outside of flour? And I think so. Like gummies, topicals, tinctures other more health conscious ways to consume that aren't going to combust? I think it's, um, I think there's always going to be a market for flour. So I'm not worried about, you know, investing heavily in a flour, in a flour brand and a flour facility. But I do think that, you know, not, not everybody is a 50 milligram a day consumer. Um, you know, my guys who work for me at the farm, he'll have a hundred milligram gummy before he sits down and watches a movie. Like, <laughs> I could not do that. That is not still going at the works. end. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, five milligrams and I'm good. But, you know, so it's, it's recognizing that everybody's different and that's okay. We don't all have to be heavy consumers and finding that balance between what, what works for you and what gives you the effects that you want. Um, I'm excited about beverages because there's that social consumption piece component of it. Yeah, it kind of introduces something new to it, right? Being able to sit at the table and and consume, maybe even with others that aren't consuming, right? And yeah. you're not putting up that cloud of smoke or right. you know, trying to blow your joint the other direction away from the wind. Right. I mean, it's an alcohol replacement, like you know, a mood <laughs> enhancer, and I'm I'm all yeah. about that. You know, people should be free to choose whatever is the right choice for their body that day. Yeah, I definitely hope to see that flour doesn't lose its importance still. I mean, at the end of the day, even these derivatives and like processed goods, they're all based on the flour, right? Quality in, quality out. So there's never, um, 
it's not really like flour would fall from the the plinth. I just wonder mm-hmm. if maybe consumers would start to you'd see less like hand rolled joints, right? More pre rolls, vapes seems to be the case. But yeah, I wonder sometimes if I am uh, if I even am a little bit jaded with the industry, living in Vegas and working in the space, um, and not seeing maybe other markets that aren't so tourist focused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like my normal dispensary is very targeted towards tourists and, um, you'll be in those deals like fast pre-rolls and carts and things like that. Sometimes not as much focus on like qual- high quality flour or solventless concentrates. Mm-hmm. Although there are those, those good shops out here. I think shout out to tree of life, uh, the source. <laughs> nice. Those yeah. are good ones. I've heard of them. Yeah. Have you guys done any concentrates or do you work with any manufacturers that are extracting your flour? We have in the past, but we don't currently today. Um, our, our, everything is sold and we, um, we just don't have any extra material to, to devote to concentrates. What we found here in Oregon is most people use like bottom shelf flour or outdoor or trim to make concentrates. And that's a great use for that. For it's that not product. really ready to buy that high quality flour and put that price tag on that that yeah. finished good yeah it's um a lot of people are even using like dividing the plant so if you have the plant that's growing here you take the top half and do top shelf flower and then do fresh frozen for the bottom half right take all your lowers out yeah but for us it doesn't make sense right now because we're, we're able to get top price or maybe not top price but a good price for for all of our flower that's another great problem to have when the whole plant is beautiful right yes exactly <laughs> Yeah, awesome. And when it comes to forecasting and making some of those, some of those decisions about the facility, uh, do you have a team helping to kind of analyze that, or do you have some certain reports that you look at to to make those decisions, or is yeah, it sort of a combination of, our- of like market feedback reports and more? Yeah, in terms of our uh, cultivar selection. Yeah, like cultivar selection and and timing for the market. Um, like I imagine having to supply for all of those businesses, there's kind of a pressure maybe mm-hmm. to keep the keep the lights on all the time and make sure you optimize kind of the space that's used. Yeah, it is um, from a facilities perspective, it is um, really important, like you said, to use every single square foot that we can for cultivation. So we don't have any extra space. Um, originally in the floor um, plan, there was an office, but we've gotten rid of that. There's no, you know, no space for an office that got converted <laughs> essentials to <a> clone. only. <laughs> yeah. That got converted to a clone room and, and really trying to, to optimize space. One of the things that we have talked about, and it's, it's an interesting idea, but is, um, a lot of newer facilities now are multi-tier. So they'll have like two or three levels of plants and right. we have the space in our building to do that, but there's trade-offs in terms of efficiency and employees having to go up ladders and down ladders and, yeah, I've heard some differing opinions there on, you know, the some folks swear the value presents itself it, over time. Mm-hmm. Others do not want to deal with leaning over that second sto- story of trays or dealing with the ladders. Um, but it's definitely tempting, right? If you have that air, if you have that overhead space to to double the canopy. Yeah, and it's we've looked at the numbers, and I just don't think it makes sense for us, but. Um, you know, maybe if I were building the facility from scratch, maybe would we would build that in today. But at the time, it didn't make sense. And from a worker, um, you know, we've we try to do things that that value our employees, so they're not 
We don't treat them like on the disposable. Ground. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're disposable little cogs in a wheel that just, you know, I want you to do this and that. They actually are part of our team. So we've invested in automation and things that make it easier for them. So, um, you know, it's not, I mean, it's still hard work. You're working on a farm doing physical labor, but, oh, but yeah. whatever I can do <laughs> to make it easier, we do. Right. There's um, cultivation is or growing cannabis for the professional space is really like any other agricultural endeavor, but constrained to the inside of a warehouse, <laughs> which, <laughs> yep. you know, brings so many problems there. Uh, in my early cultivation days, I got started as just a like, really an apprentice learning as I went. And because of that, I did a lot of cleaning. Mm. I mean, a lot <laughs> floor mopping <laughs> and tray cleaning lights and walls, pots and stakes. Yep. Man, there's an aspect of cultivation that is purely janitorial and, and sanitation based. <laughs> For sure. But, and that's, you know, it's kind of low man on the totem pole, but it's such an important role. If you have a dirty facility that that follows that plant all the way down. And yeah, I, right. You're setting those up for failure if you're running them in a dirty shop or you may even lose some genetics or who yep. knows, right? Yep. <laughs> and now cross-contamination with HLVD, like that's a whole that's a whole thing. So we have to be really careful about about our processes at the farm. Yes, kind of managing the flow and the movement of, of plants and, and people. I always kind of felt like Karate Kid with a wax on, wax off, you know, <laughs> like as I was cleaning pots, like this is all for a reason. Yes. <laughs> Once you clean the same pot again, though, a few times, there were some pots I remembered. Oh. That's, that's when you know you've been there for a while. <laughs> you have a personal relationship with a single pot. <laughs> yeah, like I remember this from... Three months ago. How was that Durban round? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any exciting things on the map for Alibi this year or um, early next year with the holidays around the corner? Well, we have on our plan for next year is uh, we're working on multi-state expansion. So that was one of the reasons that I went to MJ Biz is to further some of the relationships and the conversations that we've had. So we're trying to take our story and our brand into other states. And that, that really is the goal for the upcoming year. Ooh, that is a that is a big endeavor now. So having built the brand in state and now turn to look at the rest of the nation, are there any states in specific that you uh, would like to move into? Or is it more opportunity-based at this point, kind of investigating? I have a handful of states that are my top states. But the way that we're going to make the decision is is based on the relationship and the operator we end up finding. We've we've had relationships in other states and had contracts and agreements where it didn't turn out the way that it was supposed to. And looking back on that or learn, you know, I always try to learn from things. I don't call it a mistake. I call it, you know, an opportunity for learning and really <laughs> do treat it that way because it's like, well, okay, what what can I do differently next time? And really it's a matter of choosing who we want to get into business with, making vet them, make sure that they understand our brand proposition and that we're on the same page. Because if they're successful, I'm six, you know, we're, we're mutually successful and finding that, crafting that, that opportunity. Right. It's not something that needs to be rushed or just um, done as soon as possible. It's more about making it right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with a brand, with the brand name at stake and the quality and the, and the history of the brand there too. I imagine that's a, uh, um, a fun one, and there are many SOPs and and things that need to be need to be required there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and it's important because we're all about quality and and the experience, and I I want to make sure that we do that right so that our customers 
in other states can have the same experience that, that ours here in Oregon do. Yes, and I definitely enjoy the flower up there in Oregon. I need to get back there again and, and try some more product. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know next time you're in town. We'll, uh, we'll hook you up. For sure. Man, that coastal drive uh, out there on the, the coast of Oregon is something else. Oh, it's beautiful, but you can't do it right now. There's a big landslide last week and it's all washed out. It's crazy. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's dangerous. It's It always looks kind of scary on those cliff sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not for the faint of heart. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Marianne, thank you very much for coming on the show today and talking shop about Alibi. Uh, where can our listeners learn more about you and uh, connect with the company? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Our website is alibicannabis.com. We're on Instagram, alibicannabis, and I'm pretty, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. So looking forward to connect. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.